Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Before we introduce our brand new guest today, I want to do a quick self-promotion. We have a giveaway going on on our Instagram at Itchesworks Studios where you can win a free copy of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. It's a free $70 game and not that many people have entered. So go on there, enter. And then if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then please consider rating the show. That helps us grow and it also helps us uh, get searched for when people type in keywords. So go ahead and do that. And then uh, if you watch this on YouTube, uh, go ahead and leave a comment, like, and subscribe, all that fun stuff that everyone loves to hear and uh that's enough self-promotion let's go ahead and introduce our guests we have connor today connor how you doing man i'm uh i'm great i'm so good uh thank you are for you having smiling because are you smiling because i just realized that's the first time i've ever said your name out loud yeah it, it brought up a lot of strange strange feelings um yeah it's uh i don't know it's a little odd to hear to be honest yeah so uh <laughs> me and Connor met through Xbox. I was on a Halo community group called Halo, uh, the Halo Wheelman or something like that. And uh, we were playing Master Chief Collection and these two communities always played back in the day. So we were playing custom games one night and I met his group, uh, Outcast Reborn, uh, OCR. And uh, his gamer tag is OCR Killer Bees. And I've literally only said that for two years. <laughs> so this was the first time I've ever uh, said his name out loud. So sorry about that, man. Oh well, now you've now you've outed both my name and my uh, gamer tag, so uh, everyone's going to be hitting me up for my uh, my MLG skills. Um, You're really good at you Apex, know. so hopefully, yeah. As, as your audience might know, <laughs> I, I frequently carry you in in Apex, right? So that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, please don't add me. Uh, I have no more room for for more friends. Uh, you know, I, I I'll take if you Venmo me, uh, we'll talk. Um, there you go but you have to come up with the number and if it's insulting to me i won't respond i'll still accept the venmo but you won't get to play with me yeah that's true he got me to a uh, diamond rank on ranked apex paul by himself it was pretty crazy so yeah yeah I, you know i was a uh, number one apex predator but uh you know that i i had to take some time off uh for for you know mental health you know i felt like i was really bringing people down with my skills uh, and that i'd done more more harm in the world than good with my apex skills so uh, i stopped for a while to do a uh, charity i uh, backpacked through nepal and uh you know just the fuck? you know I, I found myself but uh it's pretty crazy though if you think about it that we've been kind of playing video games now for two years maybe even longer than that i mean have you thought about that not that you've sit two down years. and think about it, but i'm just saying 
Yeah, so we met uh, when Halo Reach came out on the Master Chief Collection. So that's uh, quite a while ago now. And then Halo Infinite turns two this year. So yeah, we've known each other for quite a long time. You know, I it think feels so. like it feels like much longer, and that that might you know have to do with the fact that you're just you're such a fucking drag, man. You know, I I don't know. It's just the they say time flies when you're having fun and it's definitely the opposite with our, uh, with our friendship. I, um, you know, it's feels like eons, you know? Yeah. Every time, and, every time I sign on, you're like, son of a bitch. Yeah, no, you're, you're, a, you're a good guy though. You know? So, so don't feel too bad about it, but that's true. You yeah. are too. No, I, I love appreciate the podcast. It. I'm so- Thanks, man. And I'm I'm so glad that you're finally on it. I mean, I, I think uh, I think you're one of the most interesting people I've ever met, especially through Xbox. I think every time we have a conversation, I always think it's fascinating. And I love what you have to say. And I think a lot of people here will as well. And so to kind of jump into it, we have some icebreaker questions for you. Don't laugh at me, bitch. Um, we have some icebreaker questions for you. Uh, the first one is, what is your favorite video game or actual just franchise if you have one or the other that, you know, carries more weight? I'll uh I'll I I'll get into that Ryan. I'll I'll touch on that there yes. in a moment. I just want to I I want to circle back. Uh I was laughing because you said I was one of the most interesting people you knew and I I truly feel like that is just you know not a good reflection on your social circle. Um but yeah, oh, yeah. anyway, my favorite franchise uh video game franchise um obviously I suppose I should say Halo, right? Um, that's the one that boy just inspired me to, uh, to dedicate far too much of my time to playing video games. I mean, shout out to, uh, to Dylan Bilbia. If you're listening, the, uh, the boy down the street, the first kid I knew who had an Xbox and he had Halo combat evolved. And I would spend, uh, days, entire weekends staying over at his house, uh, just to play it. Uh, we probably ran through the campaign, like dozens of times um and yeah anyway so just lots of good memories and then goes on from there to halo 2 and even before i uh i knew what xbox live and playing with people from all over the world was like uh halo was like you know the best right Mm. um so i should say halo though though now you know dark days dark days have befallen um the halo franchise uh I feel like uh I, I feel a bit like like Halo is is a bit like the Leafs in a way, you know. Um for the last and it's not quite 19 years, but I really feel like since since Halo 3 like you know, Halo was just fail, failing to make it past the first round of the playoffs with these new games. You know, they they just you know, they come out and the game would look promising and then you know, lots of lots of good things to it, lots of good elements, um, but it just you know fell flat, fell short. You know, uh, but but now with Infinite, I I would say maybe they've made it past the first round of the playoffs. Um, I don't know though. I don't know. I'm not I'm not sold. So let's say Halo. But uh, the runner up would probably be uh, the Red Dead series. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. probably the. Uh, the only other game I put as many hours into as, uh, or games rather, uh, that I put as many hours into is Halo. Um, yeah, you know, shout out to Overwatch, the toxic wasteland that that fucking place is. But, 
Um, you know, it's not really, you know, Overwatch proves that you, uh, you don't really have to evolve in any conceivable way to, to still be an enjoyable sometimes experience. And of course, Apex, and of course, Apex, which is loads of fun, except when I'm, you know, dragging your ass up from wood tier to, uh, to diamond. But, uh, yeah, anyway. That's a solid answer, man. And and I totally get like your gripes with Halo Infinite. But I was thinking about it as you're talking. The things that like Halo Infinite got wrong to to be that next level game, like you're talking about to get to that get past the first round of playoffs is is so sad. It's literally desync, BR starts and battle uh, you know, big team. And that's honestly pretty much it. The campaign was fine. The multiplayer <laughs> gameplay is the best it's been since Halo 3. Like it's so sad that they couldn't just like get their heads out of their asses and just make it like it should be Halo 3, uh, you know, 2.0, and we're so close to it. And I don't know if you've seen lately, uh, you know, I ha- I haven't sent it to the Discord, but they've actually been, uh, people have been remaking Halo 3 maps that are on par with developer-looking maps, and someone just remade High Ground, and it looks better than the original map. So it's like, all this Halo 3 stuff is coming out, and it's like, man, <laughs> like, why can't they just commit to it? So it, it is a shame. For sure. And then uh, Overwatch, it's funny you say that too. I was like watching some gameplay on, that just came up on my TikTok yesterday. I was like, damn, this game looks exactly the same as the first one. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. It's uh, it's an expansion pack uh, for sure. DLC disguised as a uh, as a new game. Though, I, I mean, they sold it as a new game and they did charge for it. But if you had already purchased Overwatch 1, it was free. And, and the only thing that they charged you for was if you wanted the whole battle pass uh, pack that gave you a bunch of skins uh, and I think that was like 50 odd bucks Canadian um, so they did yeah they shouldn't have called it a new game that's for sure but also I guess kudos to them for recognizing that uh, their original fan base probably would riot if they were charged to get the new version and it was just the the first one but they did blow they did blow it by making the first one irrelevant and and deleting it essentially from the uh, yeah. from the internet. That's strange uh, to do. I don't know if that ever been done before. I'm not really up on game lore, like video game lore, but I am like a hundred percent sure it's happened before. I I can't recall the game necessarily. It was just an it was another like live service game. But the I think the reason why people are truly upset about it is these days. For some people, I mean, for probably 80% of the people, it doesn't matter. But for the 20% of us, game preservation is like a huge deal. Same same way with art and music. Like you still want to hear the original content or see the original art piece. And uh, it, it's becoming increasingly frustrating how uh, companies just don't care about that. Like even the new Star Wars game, the physical copy of it doesn't even have a disc. Or I'm sorry, it has a disc, but you have to download the whole game. So like the disc, you can put it in your console but you can't even play the game. Like you have to have the update. So it's like, well, why the fuck are we even like making disc anymore? So it's, it's a sad thing, but you are right. And that is something that we, I do kind of want to give Blizzard credit for is if you did own the original Overwatch, you got the second one for free technically. So it, you know, like you said, they covered their asses for sure to some extent with that. Um, The next question I have for you, which I think is probably, I feel like it's going to be tough for you, but maybe I'm wrong. What is your favorite movie or movie franchise? Well, yeah. So, yeah, like you said, it's one of those one of those questions that uh, it, it hurts to answer. And I mean, it always changes, right? So, depending on the day, 
you know, you have a totally different movie depending on your, I don't know how you're feeling. Maybe some people it's not like that. Maybe maybe they can they just have it in their mind. It's my my favorite film. I watch it over and over again. Um, I don't know. I think my go to answer has always been there will be blood. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, I don't know. There's just something about that movie and 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 how it's how it's directed and how it's shot and and how it's acted and the the score. Um, I, I just I don't know. It's it's perfect. Uh, the vibes really resonate with me. Uh, you know, to uh, I don't know, put it in a really dumb way, but yeah, probably. I just think it's it's the best. Um, you know, Paul Dano rules and his entire uh it looks like you've gone to sleep. Oh, your head <laughs> Your head was down for like 30 seconds. I thought you passed I thought out. I was looking it up because I've never seen it before. Well, I you know, I, I recommend <laughs> it. It's uh it's uh it's a slow burn. Um, My bad, dude. You know, much like this interview, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you should have smelling salts. You should have got smelling salts. Um, oh, yeah, but but like if it, if if you go by like, you know, what were the movies that uh, that that like made me love movies? I would say probably my favorite franchise uh, would probably be like Indiana Jones. Um, I watched those films over and over and over and over again. Um, when I was a kid, just, we didn't have a ton of VHSs, uh, but we had those and yeah, the, that entire first three films. And I know T- Temple of Doom gets, gets a little crapped on, but I love it anyway. Um, it's my favorite one. <laughs> is it actually see that's, that's yeah. a rare, it's a fairly rare opinion, but, uh, but yeah, I, I love them all. And, uh, they're just, they were so exciting. And uh, I don't know. I'm pretty excited for the new one. Uh, Spielberg yeah. uh, Spielberg says it's going to be good, and that he's uh, he's very proud of of the version that he saw. And but uh, you know, it, it sort of feels a bit like like remember in the Simpsons where where they got Tom Jones like like performing for Marge, and and like Smithers has got the gun on him. He's like it's just smile and wave. You know, um, it, it could yeah. be a little bit of that. You know, where it's like obviously Spielberg's True. not going to come out and pan a movie right before uh <laughs> yeah. it, it's just like oh yeah it's terrible i should have directed it you know um, yeah pro- probably not gonna say that you know i i think one of the things about that the movie question that's tough uh i think it, i i knew it would be tough for you because you have such a well-versed and obviously cinema and television but you know the movie question is tough in general because it's either like yes what got you in this uh movies in general so like for me it's Jurassic park one uh, till this day, that movie yeah, blows my mind away with the animatronics. And honestly, the story is good, too. I'm sure there's plot holes, but it's still a fun movie. And it's a blockbuster that you can actually sit through and really appreciate. But then there's movies like Inception. I remember when Inception came out and that like blew my mind away. Or another film that came out in the last decade. It's called 1914. And I think it's one of the best fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. And it's not technically a whole film in one shot. But they definitely made it cut like that, where it does look like it's all filmed in one shot. And I, I still can't believe that movie exists, man. It, it's so well made. And uh, ni- yeah, nineteen seventeen, so, right? I'm sorry, 1917. Excuse me. I always fuck it up. So yeah, 1917. Um, well, I didn't you got the years right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't see it in theaters. Like I didn't think I'd like care about it. I'm like, oh, it's just another war movie. 
But then when I saw it at home and I was like, dude, holy shit. Like, yeah, what a movie. What a movie, man. Yeah, it was really well done. We were kind of blessed with two uh two very great kind of uh war films back to back. We got uh we got Dunkirk, right? And then and then it seemed like right after we got nineteen seventeen and uh yeah, I really I really loved them both. I mean I'm a I'm a sucker for uh for war films and, and historical dramas uh on the whole. So so yeah. No, nineteen seventeen was good. I, I only saw it the one time in, in theaters. Um, and I haven't, uh, haven't returned to that picture, you know, uh, but, um, but yeah, I'd like to see it again for sure. Yeah, me too. One of these days, one of these days I'll sit down and watch it. I mean, uh, who's, who's got the time, you know, who's got the time to. Well, shit, especially with your work schedule. Um, yeah, but yeah. to kind of, to kind of lean into that and, and obviously what you can talk about, uh, just naturally, I like to ask people, uh, normally a lot sooner than this, but, uh, how's your week been, man? My week, how's my week? Uh, ooh, good. I mean, it was a it was a hard week, you know, a, a long hard week to to put it like Envy would would say. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it was it was very very difficult, kid. Um, no, uh, it was fine. You know, you work, you do the, you do the the nine to five, you do the grind uh, Monday to Friday, and then. Um, Thankfully, this weekend uh, I was not required to uh, to be there, so um, I drove out to a little town called Uxbridge, Ontario, and and uh, I saw John Wick Four actually, which um, yeah I had not seen until now. I'm a little behind on that one, but uh, but yeah, it was great and um, really really enjoyed that. Yeah, shout out I to hated uh, it. oh you hated it, eh? I yeah, pizza says I'm stupid, but dude, I think it's like I think it's so goddamn boring. It's just the same shit I've seen for three films. Like I, I just I mean, how many guys can take fucking twelve two mags loaded into their tuxedo before they die? Like I just I can't. I can't. I don't know. I, well, I think I was know, trying to I I understand that criticism. Um they kinda I think they sort of like stunted their way into a paper bag after the second one and sort of realized, wow, you know, we have done so much cool shit in these first two films. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I don't know how we top ourselves. And so, so basically it does just sort of become, um, how do we do a, a cooler stunt and how do we make it bigger? And, and that's sort of like what Tom Cruise does with, with mission impossible, right. With every film, uh, you know, I feel like, Somewhere after the uh, somewhere after the third one, um, maybe maybe after the fourth one with like the Burj Khalif where he's running on the side of the building. Um, yeah, I feel like after that one, they sort of decided the franchise went in this direction that okay, there's going to be now each film there's going to be this big set piece stunt that the film kind of leads up to and culminates to, and then um, and then yeah, it, it's got to be bigger than the last one. That's what's most important. So you know, if he runs on the Burj Khalif in, uh, and I don't know if I'm butchering the name of that tower. I, I don't know if it's anyway. So if he runs on that in the fourth one, then he's you know he's got to do a halo jump in the in the fifth one. Or uh, and now I I've only seen like one trailer for this new one. They did a featurette. And he's gonna ride a motorcycle off a off a cliff in Norway, I guess. Um, and the biggest spo- ramp spoiler, ever made. I guess. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, anyway, to take that back to John Wick, it's, it's probably, I get what you're saying. 
And uh, again, the third one was was really excellent with the stunts. Um, you know, you're you're not there for uh, for a best screenplay level drama when you're watching those movies. So the dialogue's just kind of you know moving you on to the next big fight and the next set piece action scene. Um, and it's great because you get to see Keanu Reeves just walk around and go, yeah. You know, like it's it's funny. You know, if you could appreciate the dialogue for it being funny. Um, and you could appreciate the action, but I thought in this one, there were, there were a couple really neat and, and obviously those who haven't seen it probably going to do some, some spoiler action here, but, uh, I'll try and be a little vague at least. No, it could be but, spoiler uh, free go ahead, or spoiler spoilers. Go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, no, I just, was- I, I thought, you know, um, it starts with the Osaka fight and then that's really cool. Uh, but, yeah. but I, the, the scenes that first of all, um, was it Donnie Yen's character, right? Um, He, I loved him. And I thought without him as an element in the movie, it would have been really flat. You know, it just would have been action scene, action scene, action scene, but, but him and, and the marquee and um, you know, nobody was a great, the guy who played nobody and and I'm awful with actors names. So I I won't be able to do everybody, but the actor who played nobody was really great too, though. I thought he got a little bit shafted his storyline. I mean, like right at the end, it basically looked like, you know, his last shot of the film is like a Modelo commercial and he's, and he really has achieved like nothing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I thought this one, they really tried to, uh, to make the characters as colorful as they possibly could. You know, you had that, uh, that giant German, nightclub owner right that looked like he was ripped straight out of a batman comic book um yeah yeah no it's uh i don't know i liked him and i liked donnie yen and and the marquee even uh you know like heavy on the stereotypes but uh but yeah i didn't even hate him i thought he was like a fairly threatening villain especially since he was controlling donnie yen but but yeah his whole fighting style uh, the way that the way that they did that i don't know uh, basically I, I saw in a theater, so maybe that helped, but, uh, but I did not, I didn't hate it. Yeah. I think it was just like, you know, the trailers leading up to this fourth film, cause the third one I felt was kind of stale towards the end. Uh, this whole thing with a high table, this whole dramatic climatic ending, you don't get shit like that. And I think I was just in there for a good screenplay and that's not what you get. And there's only so many Keanu Reeves somersault takedowns I can watch before I get bored. Yeah, fair and, enough. You know, and, and that I, was my mistake. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You, I cut you off. Go ahead. Um, I just think like that's maybe the mistake I made as a as an audience member is that this is just an action film with just a lot of ton of fun action, like the overhead scene in the building, which was sick as shit. And I wanted story, and there, there's nothing there. Yeah, so. the uh, the like you said the the hotline Miami uh, sequence um, with the dragon's breath rounds that was yes. yeah that that was cool that was very well done um, it was hilarious watching him get kicked down the like eight flights of stairs and just keep rolling like that was right out of a, a Monty Python like it actually reminded me of I don't know if you ever saw uh, Kung Pao Enter the Fist um, but like right at the beginning of that film it's like the the it's like this baby just gets thrown out a window and starts rolling down the mountain and it just rolls and rolls and rolls forever and then stops. And then a woman picks the baby up and it's like, Oh, a baby. And then just like 
rolls it down bye. the rest of the mountain. Yeah, bye bye. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I love so, that yeah. movie. <laughs> no, I know that was a very, very big uh, formative film uh, for me when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. It is like one of the dumbest movies ever, but uh, but yeah, I I adore it. I adore it. He's over here, Bertie. Bertie. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, good. No, uh, my name. You will call me Betty, and it's like, isn't Betty a girl's name? Yeah, and everybody, everybody turns. <laughs> it's like all dramatic. Yeah, the the entire um, uh, you know, pay no mind to Wimp Low. We uh, we trained him wrong as a joke, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then he's like walking in the courier going Taco Bell, Taco Bell. I'm like, Jesus Christ. But uh, yeah, that's uh, not need to watch Kong Pao again. But yeah. uh, you know, one of the things you do is you write screenplays yourself. And, you know, I don't know if you'd classify it as that, but uh, what, what got you into writing? Um, well, I think the it's it's probably my my uncle, I think. Um, so he when I was young. um he directed um like short films and independent films um and and none of them you know really received any acclaim or whatever but uh but he was just he was out there doing it um with uh with his friends and he when i was like a child like like a, an infant and then you know up to probably when i was uh 10 i think i uh, i appeared in a couple of these um and they they'd be gone now i don't think anyone would ever be able to find any of the things they were all on like uh you know big vhs tapes and i think they're lost to the universe now but um anyway uh i also my my dad started started me watching you know movies and i was kind of just allowed to watch whatever whatever was at my grandma's house or whatever you know movie was just laying around my basement and so like yeah, you know, you start watching Indiana Jones and and the Terminator and the Abyss. And like James Cameron was also a massive influence. You know, all my my uncle had all of his films, and I watched them over and over again. Um, yeah, uh, the early Mission Impossible films and and James Bond, and so I I always loved movies. And then I think it was like my uncle, uh, like uh, I don't know he got me a book called the screenwriter's Bible. I don't exactly remember when I think I was in grade six or seven, but it's like this, you know, big thick tome that just sort of outlines all of the, uh, uh, it's like a textbook basically that shows you, uh, the step-by-step -step guide on writing and formatting, uh, scripts. So, uh, with that, you know, with that knowledge in my belt, I set out to write a, uh, you know, my first screenplay. So in the, in the seventh grade, and I had been watching like, you know, true romance and, and, and pulp fiction and snatch. Um, and so I, I basically using Microsoft word um, wrote, you know, I think on like a, like a laptop, like my mom's Dell laptop. Cause she worked for the government and had it. And um, so, yeah, I, I wrote the whole thing on Microsoft word on this laptop and formatted it, even though, you know, it, it looked totally wrong because I was just copying what the book said, but you can't really do all that in Microsoft Word. You can, you can get close, but, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe you can now, 
But anyway, I wrote this uh, this total ripoff of uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, you know, it was called Diamond Alley, and uh, uh, yeah, it was like it was like a hundred and twenty eight pages or something. And uh, because because all of the but it was only that long because I didn't grasp that the uh, you know the the description the descriptions the uh, whether they're character descriptions or action descriptions. Um, you know, they should be short and concise and to the point and uh, probably only a, a couple lines. But I, I was writing like paragraphs and half paragraphs. And I think, uh, you know, I believe I have it um, somewhere in, in a box. Uh, only one copy remains. And and because like I had it printed and laminated, I think my mom took me. But yeah, I, it was about four guys who <laughs> four guys who have to find a, a hidden cache of diamonds in the middle of the city. And they're like a, you know, a gang, they're all friends. And, uh, you know, all of them were just, just ripoffs of characters that I'd seen in the movies that I liked. You know, there was like the, the Samuel Jackson character ripoff. And he was like the, the, the wise always in control one that knew, knew what was going on and, and just had everything. And he, and he was cool. And, and then the John Travolta character and, you know, Vince. And anyway, they got to get these diamonds. But then there's like two major gangs that uh, that also know that the diamonds are buried somewhere. So they were all trying to find uh, the hidden diamonds buried in the city. So that was my first screenplay. I think I wrote it like uh, end of grade seven um, with that book. And yeah, I just I think I knew from then I wanted to write. And uh, and then I took like fucking 10 years off. Um, I would always say, oh, I'm a writer. I'm a. I'm a writer. I want to be a writer, but I didn't write anything from that screenplay in grade seven until college. Like I, I didn't write okay. anything all, all through, uh, all through high school, except for, you know, the short stories in my creative writing class, uh, but not, not film or TV that kind of went dormant, I guess. And then uh, when I went off to college, I, I started writing again. I had a, I had a professor kind of slap me upside the head um, like a good guy. And um you know, he asked me what I wanted to do because it was a very general film program. You could do anything. They taught you every kind of aspect of, of making film and TV. And uh, he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to write and uh, I want to write. And and I guess it would be cool to direct as well. But but ma- mainly I want to write like I want to write uh, movies and TV. And um, and he goes, OK, great. Well, you know, what are you what are you writing? And And I said, well, like, you know, nothing. And he's like, well, what have you written? And I I said nothing, and he said, "Well, you're not a you're not really a writer, are you? You know, if that's if that's what you want to do, it's what you got to do like every single day, kind of that uh, that uh, Stephen King advice, I guess, where where he says you can't wait for motivation. That's for amateurs, right? You you got to be totally dedicated, like a job. Never, um, I don't know. You know, everybody's got different ways of of writing and succeeding, and you know, some people only write one screenplay their whole lives, and and it's so phenomenal and incredible that it just blows everyone away and wins Oscars. And some people it does take years and years of writing dozens and maybe even hundreds of, of uh, screenplays and teleplays and, and, and pilots and pitches and before anything goes through. And then even then for some people who do that and put all that work in, you know, it doesn't really pan out, you know, or you get one hit and it doesn't happen again. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's kind of I guess how how I got started, and then went off to film school and got involved in the industry peripherally, like on the outside, not not as a writer or or as any sort of creative role, but uh, but yeah, just kind of been doing that uh, that ever since. 
It's amazing, man. And Diamond Alley, I mean, it makes sense to me that your characters would be, you know, as you put like ripoffs, but just spiritual uh, successors to those characters that you've seen movies of. I mean, you have to draw your inspiration from something. So I remember like uh, I started learning how to play acoustic guitar in high school and like all the songs I came up with were like a day to remember knockoffs. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) of course, as as it is. So yeah, I wasn't I totally talented enough musically to rip off any of my favorite artists, even if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I couldn't <laughs> and, even rip off Oasis. Yeah. And then, and then what you're saying too, though, with like what your teacher was saying about, Hey, are you writing every day? Like if you're and then Stephen King's like, you have to go for it. I mean, I kind of feel like that, like, you know, like lately with the podcast, you know, I, I wish it was growing. Like you're saying like that people write that one screenplay, they get an Oscar and that's it. Take off. You know, I wish that could happen for this every day, but you know, unless I, I guess, continue to put in the work, you know, I never know what's going to actually happen. But if I let it go by the wayside, then I'll truly never know, and I could miss an opportunity. And uh, it, it is crazy. You're right. The process is different for every people in every industry and whatever you do, uh, whatever your creative process is. But there's no doubt that you know the whole uh, ten thousand time rule. It probably exists for a reason where you have to do it 10,000 times and then you probably become great at it. So hopefully, uh, you know, it works out for both of us. Right. But, uh, uh um, yeah, here, 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 here. And if not, you know, quite... we, we go through that pact that we talked about, you know? Yeah. We won't, we won't talk about it on air, but, but yeah, people, people don't need to know yet what it is, but no, no, but they'll, uh, they'll know soon enough. They will they know sure our will. names. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but my question for you as well, like leading into like your college and getting into the industry, like how troublesome was it to actually get involved with the industry or is it actually easier than you anticipated? Uh, well, there's, um, I guess, you know, I got to thank my mom. Uh, it would be, uh, I would, I would be wrong not to, because basically I went to, uh, I went to film school. Uh, I decided in high school that all I wanted to do was make movies. So I, uh, I saved up, uh, saved up some money and went off to film school. Um, and I also got to thank my parents cause they contributed to that as well. I shouldn't, uh, shouldn't say I saved up all the money. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I went to film school and, uh, and I, I worked in restaurants the whole time. I worked at a grilled cheese kiosk in a mall, uh, slinging overpriced grilled cheeses to, uh, you know, very rich new mothers and their children. And, um, and, you know, nobody wanted to pay $10 for a grilled cheese, but in the end they did, you know, the, the those children get what they want, um, sure in do. their, in their like, you know, Mercedes strollers. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess, you know, if you can, if you can spend that much money on a stroller, you can buy a $10 grilled cheese even if it is just cheese and bread, but anyway, worked in restaurants. Um, and, uh, and then I graduated, uh, with my little portfolio, my short film under my belt and my, um, screenplay, uh, that I had written as a thesis, you know, you don't, you don't have a thesis per se. Um, but you know, you get to choose what it is. And that was my, that's what I did was, write a pilot and a series Bible and a pitch deck and uh, had to do all this research. It was like a historical drama. You know, they made you work for the grade. It wasn't just, you couldn't just show up with a pilot and be like, yeah, there I'm done. You know? So they, they made you do a lot of stuff anyway, got out with that, but was still working in restaurants. I was working at a breakfast diner 
you know, and uh, it was just not great. You know, I, I actually rather enjoyed doing food. Uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a little bit of comfort to be found in, in a little, how crazy it is and how chaotic it is. I, I think in just the, the mo the downtime afterwards is very rewarding when you've, when you've absolutely, you know, killed a board that was like totally whited out. Um, but yeah, it's just, I was not in film and TV is, is, is long story short. Um, you know, I don't want to romanticize kitchens either. They're a total fucking shit show as well. And there's some absolutely awful personalities in there that just watched too much hell's kitchen. And, uh, but, but anyway, finally my mom, uh, she knew a guy that was a uh, part of the film union up here. They had gone to school together and, um, I guess they were talking and, and he asked how I was doing. And she said, well, he graduated from, uh, from film school and he's working in a kitchen and, and he's not super keen on that. So, uh, yeah, he, um, he called me and got me sort of set up with an account on the union website and said, here's what you got to do. Here's all the, you know, the certifications you have to get, uh, safety and otherwise, and, uh, the kit that you have to purchase and, and bring to set with you. And he basically helped me get on as a permit. Now it still took a couple months for all that to go through, but I think it was with his help that I got in, um, because for some people it, it can take a lot more than a couple months. So I, I call it soft nepotism because it wasn't a direct relation. Um, but it was a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, who, you know, kind of thing. So he got me in as a grip and I started in the uh, grip department and I worked as what's called a permit. It's a, uh, you know, a, a union status member. That's not quite full status. Uh, and you're required to do so many days as a permit, so many hours. And and the point of that is to, uh, to really learn the job and get your hours in and uh, learn the people that do the job uh, with you in, in your union, you know, all the different crews um, and kind of, yeah, try and try and make friends and make a good impression and do your job well. And the idea is that when it comes time for you to, uh, you have all your days, you can then apply to be a full-time union member and your name will go on the list uh, and then you are voted on. And if you are accepted, you know, you got to do, there's like trade tests and things as well. And you have to pass a trade test um, to prove that you, you've learned enough and you're qualified. So I did, uh, I did a couple years as a permit because at the time there just was not a whole ton of work. Um, like you're lowest on the call when you're doing that. So anyway, didn't get a ton of work for a long time. Uh, would do days here, days there. Sometimes if I was lucky, they'd keep me on for a week. And then as you work more and you get to know people more, that becomes more frequent. Um, but before I could do a trade test as a grip or apply for membership, um, I kind of got steered in the, uh, the set decoration direction, like the, uh, the art department um, by, you know, a couple friends that I had made while doing the job. And, um, you know, I thought, Hey, so when I became a, a member, I decided instead to become, uh, instead of becoming a, a grip as a full-time grip member, I became what's called a craft member, which, uh, allows me to, um, pick multiple categories and try both out. Now, again, you're lower than a category member, but it gives you a little bit of, uh, flexibility in the calls that you can take. So I did calls for, uh, for props and set deck and greens for a couple years as a craft member. And eventually I, it, 
I was doing gripping and those calls. And then eventually it became more of those and more of those and became clear that I wasn't really doing gripping anymore. So when I became a, a full-time category member, I chose the, uh, the art department uh, or rather the, you know, set dressing category as uh, my category as opposed to uh, yeah, gripping anyway. And now here I am, like it's now been about nine years since I joined the union as a permit. Uh, so, Al, uh, a question I have for you: What is what is grip? Are you saying oh. grip or grit? Like G R I P or G R I T? Okay. So it's grip, grip with a P, and uh, you know that it's it's kind of a funny department to try and explain cold like to somebody who who doesn't do it. But I was always told by my uncle who the same one who did the movies. And so he worked as a grip back in like the eighties. Um, and he told me the, you know, the way he described it was uh, we're the department that helps manipulate how the uh, light falls on the scene. And we're the department that is responsible for setting up and pushing the uh, camera dolly. Um, okay. So that's um, basically as a grip, uh, there's it's kind of split up into uh, rigging grip and shooting grip. If you are a rigging grip, you are on the team that is showing up prior to the cameras and actors and everybody arriving. And you are setting up large components of, um, you know, they're called blacks and they're called whites. And uh, but primarily it's the point is you're setting up diffusion or you're setting up things that block light from falling on the scene. So okay. say you're shooting in a church and the scene is at nighttime, but you're shooting during the day, you're shooting a day for night, right? You would have the rigging grip team show up prior to, you know, the, uh, the camera team arriving and they would set up, you know, blacks curtains essentially on the outside, uh, like big box shapes, big rectangular black boxes outside of all the windows. And they set them up with, uh, you know, truss and scaffolding and pipes and all that sort of stuff, I-beams. And they would black out that entire scene. Or if, say, the scene requires a massive 40-foot by 40-foot green screen or even bigger, you know, um, the team has to show up prior to shooting crew arriving and build this massive green screen. So it involves unfurling it and laying it out and putting it on these pipe frames and getting those set up usually on, uh, you know, telehandlers, um, you know, cranes, large cranes. Um, yeah. And then if you're with the shooting team, you are basically following the camera team around. Um, and it's the grips job. The, the key grip works very closely with the, uh, the gaffer who is in charge of uh, lighting and the, uh, you know, the cinematographer sometimes and camera to, figure out as a team how they're going to light a scene and how they're going to achieve that lighting. So um, it can be something as simple as setting up a, a black flag to cut like a triangle or sorry, a rectangle rather of light off of somebody's face or setting up a white, um, what's called a bounce. You know, uh, sometimes if you're watching behind the scenes, you will see those white, big white frames set up over top of who they're shooting. Um, or you'll, or you'll see a guy holding like a, Almost looks like it's a like tin oval, foil right? square. Yes, oh, exactly. Okay, yeah. Right. So yeah, that as well. That as well. So that's all the grip department that's uh, that's doing that. And then when you see the people pushing the dolly, um, you know, along the track, that is also the grip department. Um, oftentimes, you know, they're working the cranes 
they're working the booms uh, that are holding these like uh, uh, light and diffusion frames up. So, so yeah, that's my, that's my best way to describe that department. They're very important. Uh, they, you know, yeah. it's kind of like a running gag that, uh, that they're, that they're lazy. And, you know, when I was a grip, it's like, you know, nothing's funnier than jokes about the grip department. I mean, like I, I personally love them. And I know that a lot of the grips that I worked with thought they were hilarious too, but, but, you know, they're, they're, they're not to be underestimated and they do a lot to help out other departments and, and fill in, in fill in gaps, you know, um, it was funny. I worked as a grip for years and then I switched over to art department and the number of times it's like, you know, these people are like, oh, we'll just borrow a ladder from the grips. Right. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're good people. They're, they're good people and they work hard and to be a key grip, you know, you do have to know a lot about weight and balance and, um, you know, the, the sort of structural integrity, you kind of have to be like a, like a little bit of a, on your toes engineer because you're figuring out how to rig these massive um uh structures that that have to hold hundreds even thousands of pounds of of lights um and things and you have to make sure it doesn't all come crashing down on the set so uh yeah it can be it's a very high pressure job and you have to know your your stuff uh, for sure it it definitely sounds challenging and there's no doubt the backbone of the production it seems like so yeah that that's really interesting man and uh, we've talked about this um, off off the mic so much, obviously off the podcast, but on Xbox. Uh, and I forgot to put it out as a question here. So if you can't answer it, that's fine. Uh, but in your past, obviously not what you're currently working on or nothing in the last year, like we talked about. But it is, was there like a set that you really liked working on as an art uh, decorator or like a set decorator and all that? Yeah, so I'm. That I you, should make it clear. I no, no, no. I should just make it clear uh, before you know, in case one of my bosses sees this and uh, strangles me. Um, I am not a decorator. Um, that you know, that oh, is okay. a that is a goal. No, that for it would be really fantastic to be a decorator. Um, but I I work as a uh, a dresser, like um, underneath the decorator, right? So the decorator is is well, it's kind of like you know the design team and the showrunners are are working high up and then the designer and the art director collaborate on how everything's going to look. The orders come down to, you know, the head of carpentry and the head of paint. And then my boss, the decorator, the set decorator, and everybody kind of has to coordinate um, to achieve the look. Right. And then there are buyers who are out buying the assets that are required to fill the set. And uh, yeah, it all, it all comes together. So I'm a dresser, not a, not a decorator. Um, You know? Yeah. So uh yeah my my boss would probably beat me with a hose uh if i claimed to be a decorator <laughs> probably no, and, no uh, he, would, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't do that he wouldn't do that I, I don't think you know i don't think it was just a room uh, right i'm pretty sure right yeah. <laughs> uh but was there obviously what you can talk about of course was yeah, there yeah, any, yeah. cool uh, sets production? cool sets yeah um of course definitely um you know there's you get to watch if you hang around long enough, you'll, you'll get to see something neat, you know, on a show, uh, years ago called impulse. Uh, we, we flooded a, a TTC subway car, uh, you know, put it up on a 45 degree angle. And then, um, it was filled with like, uh, ah, fuck like 500 gallons of water. Um, and they basically had to do this gag where it's like all these people fully dressed commuters are uh, on their way to work. And, um, the, the girl who has the power to teleport, um, you know, she, uh, yeah, jumps 
she jumps her and her attacker, her assailant from beneath a, uh, a lake, I believe, or in a river into the, uh, into this subway mm-hmm. car and uh, brings all the water with her. And uh, that was a really neat scene to see how they did. Um, you know, on Taken, we, we blew up some cars, uh, the Taken TV show, not the, not the film. There was a, uh, a Taken television series short lived, I believe. Um, then, da, 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 you know, the handmaids always had, um, something cool. Uh, you know, I, I actually worked on handmaids early on as a grip and then again in the, uh, set dressing role. Um, and yeah, that's always got something good to offer. I believe, you know, I'm not really up to date on these things, but I, I think they, that team won a fair amount of, uh, Emmys, uh, for their design. So yeah, those, those sets were always a treat, you know? Uh, but, but, but what else designated survivor was good. You know, it was the white house set was, was awesome. You know, uh, it was a very, very accurate, true to life, um, kind of West wing set. Uh, that was cool to walk around in, um, you know, getting to, uh, getting to rub shoulders with, uh, old Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, crashed a few cars, which is it's always cool to be on a car crash set. And and when I say we, I, I got to be clear, like this is all the, you know, super talented, like uh, stunt guys and special effects people that are rigging these up and and making it happen and making it safe. Um, you know, they're the guys that are actually doing it. But uh, but I was watching, you know, I was there plugging my ears. There. They counted down. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> so. So, yeah, um, I'm trying to think I'm trying to think. Um, I've got I've got an awful memory, but uh, well, I definitely want to check out the impulse one. I'm gonna look up that scene. I feel like I should be able to look that up. That sounds really fascinating. And and you know what what they do in films, you know, uh, to to get the set right. You know, you're talking about Tom Cruise earlier or the the stunts. You know, I feel like uh, it's really fascinating too, though that lately Hollywood has been really um giving remarks and awards to the stunt crews now. Um, just for like all the hard work they really put into what they do. They deserve uh, so it's it. really nice. To, yeah, man. It's really cool to see that recognition. Um, but it, it sounds like you've been on some really cool sets and no doubt about it. And, you know, being in, into the game so far, like you said, it's been about what, nine years you said. Um, yeah. Yeah. About that. I mean, probably so, more like five or six years of consistent work, but, but nine years of, of technically being a part of it. I know we were talking about it at, at some point last year. I don't know if it's been enough months. I think it's been longer than that about screenplays. But uh, what would your ideal end game be currently with now what you're doing in the industry, but also as a writer? Well, I mean, the goal, the goal has remained fairly the same. Um, you know, obviously when I decided I wanted to be a, a, a writer of film and television, uh, it was mainly film. I thought, you know, I only wanted to write features. Um, and then because I, I, I didn't have HBO growing up, you know, we didn't have uh, cable and, uh, the long form TV series, you know, it did exist, but, um, I, it had eluded me, you know, it hadn't, it hadn't come onto my radar yet. So, um, it wasn't really until I'd seen Dexter that I realized now you could write for TV too. So, um, the goal has shifted somewhat. Of course, I still want to write features. Um, that would be a dream come true to uh, write and direct an indie feature, you know, um, and and I have uh, scripts in the works and scripts that I finished that um, that do kind of fit that category. So it's just a matter of me getting up off my lazy ass and 
and uh and directing them um but uh but yeah i feel like a television uh, a television showrunner you know to to write uh, a tv series um you know write the pilot write the first couple episodes get it picked up you know um i know this doesn't happen to like first time writers but the goal would then to to become a showrunner the goal would be to become a showrunner i got there in the end you know you can cut that out with your editing genius um <laughs> yeah it sounded that bad <laughs> yeah so um so yeah i i, I would want to become a showrunner um and and to um write and and you know be in a writer's room and uh yeah work with a talented group of people to make a an awesome story that that people love and that people talk about um because i think you know with the with the proliferation of of streaming and and the fact that you know now we've gone from netflix to there being so many of course there's still there's still big shows that people are are talking about and raving about you know like um like you know game of thrones and and then house of the dragon and um and uh better call Saul after breaking bad and you know there's still these great shows and succession very successful but um you know i feel like the the water cooler show the one that everyone is kind of watching you know or or basically everyone is kind of watching it's kind of fallen off and there's not that many of those anymore because there's so much to watch that not everyone is tuning in so um to be to be like the showrunner creator uh of a of a show that like really just gets people talking and 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 excited each week for it to air and um you know they they can't get enough of it and they talk about it online and they theorize about how it's going to end and and you know who's going to make it out alive that would be that would be a real treat, you know, to, uh, to have a show that, that feels like it it's carrying some weight in the, uh, you know, in the public sphere. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, like, like, yeah, to be, to be like, I guess a bit of like a, a Terrence winter while the Sopranos was on, you know, it's like when people are, are just so engrossed with your, with, with your show and, and talking about it over uh break at work the next day. And, um, yeah, that kind of thing. That would that's really the dream, uh, to be honest. And yeah, if 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 in the process I get to direct a few episodes of that show, that's um that's an added bonus. I know that I, I would have to actively demonstrate that I'm able to direct first, but uh yeah, that's probably it. If I yeah. It in a nutshell. Sounds like an amazing goal, to be honest. And I gotta agree with you. There is a lot of good shows out there, but for, like for me too because i feel like i stayed in the zeitgeist of watching those shows where every week you do want to know what's coming next you can't help but talk about it all the time i still feel like there is a lot of room for those shows to exist man and and like what you're getting at and and to create that show and make the next one that's that big i mean it's definitely possible i don't see why it wouldn't be um but yeah well, I think unless like, ai like... beats me to it first right that's <laughs> that's the fear that's the fear well yeah it's keeping I, me up at night, Ryan. The AI, the AI generated TV show. Well, yeah. that is actually something that we kind of talked about during the week when we were just testing this out, but it is still a question I want to bring up again because I wanted you to kind of touch on it again. But to also add to that, so the question is obviously 
you know, how, how has AI generated content affected your workplace or your ability to be creative at all, if at all. Um, but then sure enough, la- or I think it was last night, I saw an AI generated like Star Wars. Uh, like It was like a scene. There was a couple of scenes that were literally generated through AI and it was trippy as hell to see a show quite literally generated in front of me. Um, yeah. So like, hey, where do you, how do you feel about that stuff? Well, I guess, you know, to, to answer your first question, how has it affected my work so far? Like not, not really um, as of yet, but you know, things are going to, and I'm not some professional, like, I don't know, you know, I, I really only keep up with whatever articles pop up on my phone. Um, and there'd be people a lot more qualified than me to answer how far exactly AI has come in, in, in generating entertainment, you know, but, I, but I saw the Harry Potter Balenciaga video, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that was enough for me to know that, that the writing's on the wall for, for fucking creatives. No, um, I don't know. I, I don't, it hasn't affected me yet, but I know that this thing is, it's all going to snowball so quickly and, and, and gather steam. And there's going to be so much advancement in such a short time. We'll go from it having not existed at all. You know, I believe it was uh Russo, you know, that one director was saying that an AI generated film was, was two years away. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when, and, and we're just going to have to see, what that looks like, you know, it might come out, uh, a fucking mess, you know, like the, the art purists are always going to say that, that no matter how, how well it's able to like seamlessly put images together, um, and, and fake dialogue and and things like that, it's, it's never going to be able to replicate, you know, the, the innate understanding of story, uh, that, that people right because because we're storytellers right it's all at this point it's baked into our genes we've we've been telling stories handing down like before the written word for hundreds of thousands of years that's how anything was passed along you know um and again don't quote me not an anthropologist if if somebody's mad about the hundreds of thousands of years comment you know blame ryan for giving me a platform <laughs> here um but 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 basically yeah we're we're storytellers we understand stories on on an innate level and some are better than others you know everyone's got their their one uncle that like goes to tell a story and 20 minutes later like everyone's looking for the closest open window um you know uh but but yeah we we get it and can an ai necessarily get it as opposed to just scouring all of the internet for you know, every story and trying to splice elements together. Um, only time will tell. And then if in the beginning it is that, how long until it does understand storytelling, right? You know, could be 10 years, could be 100 years. We don't know. We don't really have any idea. I got to adjust my headphone. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, you know, change is, change is coming. Um, it's kind of like the the nuclear era and and... And artists always clung to the fact that their job could never be taken by a robot. Um, you know, that was for the, you know, that was for the blue collar folk that we all look down on, you know, you know, yes, perhaps they'll automate the man who drives my car, but they'll never automate me, the great poet, you know, but now it seems like in a flash, like before anybody could really figure out what was happening, AI might be able to emulate the great poet quicker than it's able to emulate the, uh, the coal miner, you know? So yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I hate to keep saying it, but it's like, time will tell 
for now, I have a job. You know, uh, what I will say is, you know, it's less to do with AI, but probably more to do, and, and it will be involved, but it's like, in my job in particular, the the art department world, like, there's already technology. It was used on, you know, James Cameron for Avatar has kind of been using a, a variation of it, and then The Mandalorian used it, where they're essentially projecting these backgrounds created in, um, oh, yeah. like, Unreal Engine. Um, yeah. And and then the actors are acting over those backgrounds, so that essentially eliminates the set dressing component of, you know, not entirely, but but for the for the most part. And and if you're able to just digitally insert a credenza and then change its size and color with the click of a mouse in real time, um, you know, you can alter textures, you can change the time of of day. Like, I feel like there will be perhaps before AI takes the whole thing over and starts making films, you know, it, before that, it might reach a point where, you know, the designers are creating these things in like uh, SketchUp or, or CAD programs or um, whatever you will. And then they go into Unreal Engine, they're perfected and projected behind the actors. And suddenly there's not a team of 12 set dressers that are necessary to move those couches in or, um, you know, hang the photographs or, um, you know, do all the curtains and like, it's a very, uh, set dressing is a very Jack of all trades sort of job where you're, you're doing a little bit of everything. Like, you know, sometimes you're a mover, sometimes you're an art handler, like a picture hanger. Um, sometimes you're, uh, constructing things like manufacturing, um, basically fabricating uh set dressing elements out of thin air if if they're if say it's a futuristic show um there are whole departments creating the futuristic technology that needs to appear on camera right so uh, yeah. there's a there's a lot of people involved in the process of set dressing just like there's a lot of people involved in the process of of everything else like you know hair and makeup and costume and 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 what have you but um but yeah if if it came to a point where Currently, this this technology is not widely used, but if it were to become widely adopted and financially feasible uh, for smaller productions to use this sort of background projection technology, uh, it, it would take away probably a lot of the the need for studio sets, right? And then that falls back on the carpenters and the painters and, um, you know, even people you don't really think of, like location scouts. Um, it all sort of just... Uh, yeah, falls onto the computer and the computer takes those jobs. And if it's able to give you something that's realistic and doesn't look fake um, and you can manipulate in real time based on the needs of the uh, director or the showrunner, it's like, oh, you know, currently if if we have a couch on on scene and it's like a big brown leather couch and the director walks in and says, and it's time to roll and there's all these people waiting around to shoot and time is money. And the director says, well, I was hoping that couch would be, you know, a dark green color. It's like, well, it's probably too late for that. And you're going to have to shoot it with the brown couch, you know, and they can be frustrated and stamp their feet all they want. And I guess if they're a big enough director, they'll probably get their green leather couch and make everybody stand around it to the tune of $60,000. But, uh, but yeah, um, if it's all digital and he wants that couch, you know, hot pink, he gets it the snap of a finger, right? So yeah. I feel like that that's kind of right around the corner and there will be uh, a push in my industry to kind of learn that 
um, and to become familiar with that. Um, you know, but again, could be wrong. You never know. Yeah, like if a d- the day could come where they really try to push for that technology more than ever, and then it just doesn't function properly. It just it just fails on its own. So there's always that option, or there's always that possibility too. And in, in no, for sure. Like I said time will tell. So, but it's it's proving um, that it can succeed right now on on the Del- or on the Delorean on the Mandalorian, <laughs> and um, yes, the the yeah. Mandalorian, which is like a you know Mandalorian hybrid. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's like a man who had sex with a DeLorean, and now he is the Mandalorian. Sort of Mandalorian. As he was struck by lightning while he was having sex with the car. Anyway, um, yo, can we take uh, two minutes while I refresh my water? I've got the most, like, dry mouth here. I know. Can you, like, Sounds edit good. it? All right. All right, we are back. Quick little break. Uh, I do have a question for you, actually. I know you haven't been to the cinema in a while and you did see John Wick 4, but is there any like upcoming movies that you would like to see uh, coming out this year? Or <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, so the Oppenheimer movie I'm, I'm fairly excited for. Um, obviously I'm, I'm a massive, you know, historical fiction and historical drama fan. Um, but like definitely, that and definitely Barbie. I feel like um, you know, a, a the bar no, I'm I'm very excited for the Barbie movie, uh legitimately. Like um Oh shit. Okay. I, I know that sounds silly, but uh I, I think Greta Gerwig is a is an incredibly cool director and um everything I have seen from the trailers so far makes it look like an absolute blast, just like a bubblegum pop. You know, I, I'm excited. Uh, I think it's gonna be really fun. Um, yeah, but that's just me, you know, um, I mean, really I'll watch anything, but, um, yeah, of course, but yeah, Oppenheimer for sure. looks awesome. Yes, absolutely. Um, like what else? Um, we got, uh, the flash, you got guardians of the galaxy. Super Mario bros just came out. Yes. So I'm meaning Um, to see super Mario. Uh, that one is totally on my list as well. That was actually the other film that that uh, theater was playing. It was only showing two movies and, um, it was Mario and John wick. So we saw John wick, uh, might actually see Mario next weekend at the same theater, but, uh, that'll depend on work. Um, yeah, that's, I don't know. I mean, I want to support, you know, my boy Johnny, my boy John Leguizamo in his uh, in his fierce boycott of the film. But, yeah. uh, you know, I also I got to support that local theater that uh, probably paid out the nose for Super Mario. And, you know, now they got to make their money back. So so I want to go give them some money. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'm, I've actually you know, I got to say I'm cheating here and I'm, I'm using Google uh, to see As what's coming should. out. So um, obviously Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Uh, Ooh, very excited for good. that. Yes. No, I was a massive fan of the first one. And um, yeah, that, that what a treat that movie was like visually. Um, you know, I, my barometer for like how excellent a superhero movie is, is uh, I use my brother. So he couldn't care less about superhero films uh couldn't be any further out of his ballpark of interest but uh oh and also he has like terrible just afflicted the boy is afflicted with adhd you know you cannot keep him staring at a screen for more than like five seconds 
Uh, if it is not entertaining him, he's gone. So he sat through that entire movie and um, at the end was like, that was phenomenal. So uh, yeah, I use him. Um, I was going to like it either way, but if he liked it, that's um, yeah, that's high praise. Uh, Indiana Jones, obviously we talked about, um, I was going to watch it regardless, you know, if it comes out and, and it gets critically panned, then, um, you know, I'll still watch it. Like, uh, it's just one of those things I can't miss. So yeah, they got, they got that coming out. And then, uh, Gran Turismo has a movie coming out. I don't know if you ever played that game on the PlayStation, the racing uh, game. I didn't play it. On, no. Um, I didn't play it much. I, maybe like a couple times at my buddy's house who had a PlayStation two, but, uh, yeah. What else? What else? Well, well, the reason why I bring it up is like okay. the drivers are actually like driving in the movie. Like they are trying to make it as realistic as possible. Oh, fantastic. And then, uh, to your point though, with like Spider-Man, uh, I actually think Spider-Man and like into the Spider-Verse is probably the best comic book film ever made because it looks like it's an actual comic. You just, you get to watch it. And so, yeah, across the Spider-Verse is going to be cool. Um, oh, but the original <laughs> Batman film. I mean, how can you, you know? I mean, Christian Bale's better. Oh, uh, come on. Come on. Dude, Christian Bale is so much better. Come on. No, I know. I know. Like, he, he really is. He is my, you know, he's my Bruce Wayne. You know, people be like, not my Bruce Wayne. He is mine um, for sure. I think he, he definitely encapsulates the character you know, better than anybody else. He, he plays both Bruce Wayne and Batman, you know, that's sort of the, the split between them. Um, I just really enjoyed it, but that's not like, man, I, like Robert Pattinson, I thought did such a cool job. Like, you know, yeah, there, I don't want to be wishy-washy and, you know, Oh, everything's great, but it's like, you know, like how can you not love Michael Keaton and how can you not love even George Clooney? Like they all, they all did something like so cool and fun for the character. Like those eighties, you know, the 89 and then further into the nineties, all of those films, like they, they were so much fun. Uh, those were also ones that I just watched over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. I, I think every actor really brought their own taste to Batman that makes them all unique. I think, uh, I think Rory's a fucking idiot that he thinks the Batman's better than the Dark Knight, but I still think the Batman is an excellent film. Like I think I gave it like a nine out of ten. Like I still love it. Um, but we also have uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, which we've already brought up. Um, and then we have a lot of pop culture films, but uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. It just looks fun. So I'm yeah. Like, I watched the watch trailer it. for that yesterday. Yes. Um... Sorry to talk over you there, but I, I watched the trailer oh, for that yesterday and I was uh was pleasantly surprised by the uh the trailer actually. It did look like a lot of fun. And uh Beast Wars was a show that I watched a ton yeah, as dude. a kid. Um so yeah, I mean it, it, there's no question I'm gonna see it. Um yeah, you'll have to you have to keep me away from that theater. I don't care Very how much how awful it may or may not be. And then we have uh, uh the machine the machine. So that's Bert Kreischer's, uh, the comedian, his joke about being involved with the Russian mafia when he was in college, and they turned it into a fucking action comedy film, which has stars Mark Hamill as his father, and uh, yeah, so that looks hilarious. And this is like, this is the first film 
where a comedian's joke got turned into a feature film. So we're going to see if this is successful, if it opens up the door for more comedians to make films based off a joke that they had and in, in one of their bits. So it's kind of a, a huge test, uh, to be honest. So we're going to have to see how that goes. Yeah. It should be. Well, interesting. Yeah, no, um, that's, I had, first of all, I had no idea that was even happening. Uh, I did not, I've not heard the joke in question. Um, and yeah, I've never obviously heard of a joke being turned into a, an entire film. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily know how frequent that's going to become, you know, like, uh, it'd be better be a, that joke better have some fucking legs, you know, if, if I'm going to sit through like a, a two hour movie, but, but yeah, uh, that, that does sound cool. Ah, oh, sorry. Don't worry. I just made it easy. I left a pause there. So that way I can kind of just cut it out. We have Craven the Hunter coming out. Uh, that's got, uh, uh, do you know who Craven the Hunter is? The villain for Spider-Man? No, I don't. I don't. Oh, uh, well, in the comics, he's like a, he's obviously a villain to Spider-Man. One of his best that literally just like buries him alive and shit. Like he really wants to hunt the Spider-Man. So Aaron Taylor Johnson's in it. Uh, he's the main character. He's, he's Craven, and then you got Russell Crowe. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like, I love pop culture, and like even my obviously my podcast. Like we talk about video games and uh, movies, but man, I wish there was like more originality in films right now because there's definitely not. Um, yeah, yeah, and I don't know. It it feels like one of those things where there might be a lot of originality and I know, I know there is, I know it's out there in like the creative space oh, of yeah. film and television, but it's, it's not what gets promoted. You know, it's not what gets the wide theatrical releases. So you kind of have to, to dig or, you know, unfortunately subscribe to, you know, things like criterion or whatever. Um, I forget if it's movie, you know, I think like M U B I, I don't, I don't know that one. Uh, or I don't subscribe to it rather, but I've seen the Instagram ads and um, you know, there, there's a lot of, of very talented like indie filmmakers out there um, making good work um, and making, you know, trying their best to, to make high quality new creative ideas come to life. But, um, but yeah, you, you're not going to see that at the AMC, you know, you're not going to see that at uh, you know, the, the Cineplex up here or, or whatever it, those, those kinds of films, they only get limited release at small theaters at best. And uh, they only really see the light of day in the public consciousness. If they're lucky enough to receive uh, an Oscar nod for something, which, you know, that, you know, or if they do well, at can or Sundance, you know, those kinds of uh, things. But again, that's like a, that's a huge long shot. And, and if, if there's like a, you know, let's say a hundred thousand indie films made every year, you know, in, in North America and, and and I fuck all over the world. If there's a million indie films made, you know, like if if ten of them are remembered next year, like that's sort of like a, that's very lucky, right? Yeah, that is true though. And I obviously should make that point. It's not like there's only twenty films made a year. There's hundreds and hundreds. God knows how many. It's just uh, only what I keep my eyes on. I guess is the mainstream movies. Well, and unless you're. Really- unless you're in the world, like unless you have a reason to look for them or, or you're just so obsessed with film and television that it's your one and only purpose to hunt down all of these hidden gem movies. Like, yeah, if you, if you're uh 
you know, if you work a nine to five and you've got your hobbies or, or kids or whatever, you're not going to, it's going to be hard for you to find that, you know, that Bosnian film that was released, you know, like, well, you know what I mean? Right. Like, Oh, this, hmm. there's this wonderful Nordish Nordic picture. And now I'm like stuttering. <laughs> but you're right though. It's not like, it's not like we all have time to go seek out those films unless you know the avenues, like you said, with like Criterion's one of them. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of a lot. You know, Netflix does a good job of showcasing some uh, lower end films in terms of production. Uh, but they got some good ones too. Uh, they have another one, uh, Extraction 2. I don't know if you watched the first one with Chris Hemsworth on Netflix. No, I don't think I did. Yeah, it, it's just like a military movie but it was just different enough to where it's fun to watch um but i guess they're making a second one so that comes out this year too all right and then we got the haunted mansion it's also coming out disney's haunted mansion they're making a movie out of a theme park ride wait wasn't so eddie murphy in the first one like wasn't there an haunted? original haunted mansion movie like back in the early 2000s uh, it totally was know. Uh, 2003. Yeah. 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 No, how no, you can't, yeah, no, you can't replace that or you can't replace that film. You know, you can't, I don't know. This one's going to have to be really good to, to beat the original haunted mansion. Well, according, yeah. uh, according to some articles, because they just had like cinema con and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently the footage, uh, had, classic scares and tons of potential is what they're saying so all right hype you know the the marketing hype machine has got the gears going yeah it's in full swing watch out watch Dude, out oh my god we have the meg too the trench <laughs> oh my god the meg i never watched the first one but man they're making a second one <laughs> uh, yeah what a movie what a movie you know it was no, Jeez. it was no, um, shark attack, you know, do you remember shark yeah. attack? <laughs> yeah. But no, it, I, yeah, it. uh, I loved all those shark movies. I mean, like deep blue sea was the greatest. That's, Damn. oh my That's God. Deep blue sea. It is really the best one. Yeah. I fucking love deep blue sea, man. Uh, I remember seeing it the first time being in complete awe of just like the concept of it. And then then you have Samuel Jackson's character die the way he did. And uh, uh, yeah, I just thought it, I thought that you was know, a like, good movie. LL Cool J and his parrot. Yeah. Yeah. I think he dies, doesn't he? But not the parrot. Something like that. Oh, he survives actually. Really? I believe he's yeah. Cause they think he dies and then he like floats to the surface at the end and he's actually alive. Uh-huh. I think. He's like, actually, I've been alive the whole time. <laughs> uh, that was a good movie. Um, you know, I guess, I, I don't know. I didn't watch the first Meg. I'm like, it's Jason Statham with a Megalodon. I mean, <laughs> it's not that exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what more? What, you you know what you're getting into when you see that poster. You know, Jason yeah. Statham and a giant shark. And I mean, good, you know good for him. For. Yeah, and he knew what he signed up for too. Yeah, yeah. well, that's true. 
I was say it's it's not like we can pretend like he just showed up on set and he's like, damn, this is what we're making. And like, no, this is this is what we're making, man. Yeah. The Meg to the trend. Tell me this Jesus. was gonna get me my Oscar. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much the first one made. Now I'm curious. Oh, I think it made shit. a ton of money. I think it it was like a I think it was a Chinese oh, okay. co-production and did well in China, I believe. I remember correctly well yeah I, I know that china was very heavily like involved in the ending in the first one right like it's the chinese navy that saves them and um the you know the the female lead is uh a chinese woman with uh you know and her child who basically i think they're trying to like protect you know all sorts of hijinks oh. yeah is that yeah. is that true is that accurate it was a chinese co-production uh i mean the the actress part was correct so what i i mean i'm pretty sure you're right that's what i'm getting at like uh you know, i don't want to spend i don't want to spread misinformation you know yeah uh production companies didn't want to yeah uh, well there's a ton of production companies gravity pictures oh chinese it's a private equity firm specializing in growth capital. So that's the Chinese media company. So yeah, there you go. And uh, the budget was 130 to 178 million and it made 530 million at box office. Yes. Yeah. And then the actress is that, uh, I think your name is, uh, I hope I don't butcher this, but uh, Lee Bingbing. Li, yeah. Lee Bingbing. <laughs> don't laugh. Can't laugh. <laughs> I can. <laughs> Why? Well, because I can't be canceled. I don't know. Like I can't be. I'm uncancelable. Yeah, like I'm. You sunk us both. You fucking doomed us both. <laughs> I'm tied to you. You fuck. <laughs> Ling bing bing. You bastard! You fucked this whole thing up. <laughs> oh yeah. shit! Yeah, you racist That's... prick. Whoa! I wasn't yeah. saying that. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I've got you dead to rights. This this podcast is going yeah. to be used at your tribunal. Yeah, we got oh we got yeah. Olafur Dari Olafson. Okay. But, Are uh, you gonna laugh at some more foreign names? <laughs> well, no, I was just gonna laugh at the poster opening wide August 10th. Oh god, that, I, I really feel like a porno already used that. Uh probably that's why I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at Ling Bing Bing anymore. You keep saying it. You keep saying it. That's an awesome name. You know. Oh, you know why I'm laughing? Because it's an awesome name. You know. Uh, my name is fucking Ryan. You know how boring that is compared to Ling Bing Bing. Yeah, you know. At you the know. risk of you know pissing off all the Ryans in the world, you know. Yeah. That one's not. Uh, good point. You know, but I'm Connor. You know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Not to, not to not to drag my my heritage or anything, but it's like I feel like you know only like. Only frat dudes are named Connor, you know, only like only like hockey, hockey bros with like, you know, that that pressure girls into making out with them at uh, at parties are named Connor, you know, um, <laughs> those are the Connors then, I know. <laughs> well, you know, it's just I don't know. Have you have you ever met uh, you ever met someone you liked named Connor? You know, think about it. 
I don't know if you have. I haven't. I have. Have but you? He, but I but but secretly I feel like he could have been that frat boy douchebag for sure. But he wasn't, but I'm saying like if he wanted to be that, it well, wouldn't take him long to fit yeah. that role. Also, I guess there's like an element of like, you know, that's the kind of person you are too. So, you know, you <laughs> you would probably get along with that kind of guy, you know, just sort of in general. So so and, yeah. anyway, maybe maybe it's like you're the kind of dude that can get along with a Connor. Um and you know, I'm not saying all my all my brothers out there are uh, are bad. You know, uh, yeah. You know, you know, you know. God bless you all. You know, we out here. You know, the Connors are out here. You know, I don't That's I don't true. know if any of us are doing any good in the world. Maybe we are. You know, if there's a doctor named Connor, maybe like call into the show. You know, let us know what you do. You know, if you yeah. work for UNICEF, if you like, you know, disarm fucking landmines in in, in the Congo, <laughs> like whatever it is you do. And your name happens to be Connor. Maybe shoot Ryan an email at uh, you know Ryan Green's a dick at 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 gmail.com, whatever, whatever his like podcast email is. Yeah, it just know. works pod at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know. Uh, phone in, phone in. You know, the Connor with the highest paying job, you know, Ryan will send you like um, you know, his old Nintendo Wii that doesn't work anymore that's in the back of his closet, you know. That's correct. I'll, I'll give you that. You can have that, but that's about it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've, you know, you got uh, John Connor, John Conda. You know how many times I get that? You know how many times a day oh. I get? Well, whenever oh. I meet someone for the first time, it's like, oh, yeah, it's uh, John Connor. It's like, that was his fucking last name. It was his fucking last name. My name's not Connor Connor, you know, like, but. But like, you know, my name is my name is Connor McCauley. So, you know, and you're you're freaky. Your freaky audience can do with that what they will. But but like, you know, you know, often I get Macaulay Culkin like it, it, all through my childhood. Well, like it's again, you know, they, they fuck it up. So it's like they're like, ah, John Connor, you know, it's like, but that's his last name. Right. And then they're yeah. like, ah, Macaulay Culkin. I'm like, that's his fucking first name. You know that you guys, they never get it right. You know, uh, but I guess I I can't give like high school kids too much credit but even grown-ass men will be like hey, you know macaulay culkin right <laughs> and i'm like yeah no he's a he's a great i love home alone you know but but you're a moron <laughs> you're a fucking moron but anyway you know i, I like I, it you can tell i'm not at all raw about it you know i'm good you know i'm level-headed um but uh really sounds like it no totally totally and and yeah, I'm, I've been working on stuff too. So, so yeah, don't worry about me. Don't, yeah, don't worry about me. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, okay, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, now people are going to call you Kieran McCulkin, McCulkin, Culkin. Wow, you nailed that. You absolutely just fucking knocked well, that wanted, out of the I park. I wanted to say uh, Kieran, Kieran Culkin, McCauley. Yeah, like that really threw me off. I was like, wait, I'm saying his name wrong. Yeah, what is he? Now you've just, no, you've done it. See, you've done it, but you've done it now even worse than the high school bullies did it. At least they got the name right, you know? You're like those telemarketers that would call and be like, uh, hello, Mr. McClee. It's like, no, Mr. McClee is not here. <laughs> Mr. McClee? Yeah. <laughs> You just yawned. So at the beginning you were falling asleep and now you're yawning. 
Uh, I'll have you know, good sir, that you know I got up early this morning. I didn't sleep in. I worked out, and well, you yeah, got up at this eleven about... this morning. No, I got up at like six a.m. Oh, you said you got up early, and I know that you usually sleep until like four or five. So, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess six a.m. Is... Yeah, six a.m. is pretty early still. I don't know why my fucking fucking bitch. <laughs> Oh man, no, I'm not. Uh, you know, it's about the time of the weekend where it's like comfortable and it's nap time, but it's just because the air is on in the house. It's a little warm outside, so you know, just trying to be cool. And I'm like sitting here and getting comfortable, and I got the blinds closed, so it's all nice and comfy, and just really having the best time here doing this podcast, man. Okay, you know what? I, we've only been talking about it since, geez, honestly, probably like a year and a half or so now i've been doing the podcast for three years in june so it's been quite a while yeah uh, it really has it really has right it has been a while you know yeah you son uh, of a bitch yeah kudos <laughs> to you for that one you know you really you're a, you're a consummate professional i really am you know i'm just one of the one of the different people out there on, that's doing a podcast uh completely original of course you know obviously you know never heard anything like this kind of stuff before no, never. So, there are no no podcasts like this one, really. That's correct. Not a single one. It's just it, every time you tune in, you never know what you're going to get. You know, it's that's just right. with the with the with the wild guests and and the musical acts and um, you know, I know last week you had a you had an animal guy on, you know, showing <laughs> showing what iguanas sound like. You know, like that was that was really cool. That was really cool. Yeah, and when yeah. he squeezed that frog, the noise it made, I was not expecting that. Like, no, you have a, yeah, it, it's, it's a regular variety show that would make Johnny Carson proud as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. 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 He made fresh bat soup too last week. It's crazy. He got COVID on the spot. It was not really. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just, just amazing. So like it was a whole recipe thing, like a Martha yeah. Stewart type recipe, sort of barefoot Contessa. Yeah cooking a well not cooking a bat you got to eat it raw right so under cooking yeah, a just bat. ate its head right there yeah bat tartare yeah <laughs> yeah dude it was pretty intense i'm just saying I'm yeah just saying um yeah is there any uh like video games you're looking forward to or are you kind of just like off the radar now and just playing like whatever's free to play and i don't have game pass right or do you? No, that's all you I have. do have or... Game Pass. I don't I'm not looking forward to any games in particular. I just I don't really pay attention anymore. I wait for the um the more knowledgeable in my friends group to sort of scour the the uh the ether for for what I'm going to play next. Uh and if enough people recommend it, uh I'll jump on. I'm 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 quite a follower when it comes to video games. Um Yeah, I don't know. I'm busy and I use it as like, you know, I like socializing. So I don't really play a lot of games like single player games alone. I don't have a load of time for it, I guess. Um, and then the other thing would just be that when I am on, I like, I like, you know, chatting with people, playing with people. So that's fair. Cause it's like, if you start a solo game and then you don't like, it's like, what's the point if you're not going to finish it, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like that with the quite a few games, like I, I bought one for like 10 bucks and, it's called kingdom come deliverance and it's like a historical game and it's cool you know um but i've also only played it for like two hours and i haven't gotten back so it's always yeah 
I've got a, a laundry list of games I've downloaded and and tried and played a little bit of, uh, and then never even looked at again. It's just uh, you know I've 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 at at thirty I've I've come to the realization and I'm I'm fine with it. I'm very zen with it. I'm not a I'm not a true gamer. You know I don't I don't live that true gamer lifestyle. Um, I do love video games. You know, great way to un, unwind, but I'm not keeping up with it the way that you know. Like, I don't know any, I really honestly do not know like any games that are coming out in yeah. the next year. That's the God's honest truth. Damn. Yeah. How about you? Come on. You're the guy. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll knock that question back to you there. You know, there's, you're in the know. Uh, there's Redfall coming out next week, which is made by Arcane Studios under Bethesda as a publisher. That's a uh, co-op first person shooter zombie survival game. Um, it's not a survival like fucking uh, Valheim and shit. It's just a co-op open world game that you can play with some people and the characters have special abilities. And you can modify your weapons as you try to save the town of I think it's like in Maine or something that the vampires like took over. And before okay. they take over the world, you have an opportunity to stop them. So it's a, a single player game, but you can also play it one to four players. Uh, that comes out next week on Xbox Game Pass. And then we have Starfield coming out later this year, which is basically... Elder Scrolls in space. Uh, we just had Jedi Survivor, uh, Monster Hunter, Sunbreak, and then uh, Zelda comes out in next month. Um, yeah, yeah see, look tough. at you. That's a that's like that's like six games, you know, that I would I would have never even known about, um, and I'm probably not going to play any of them. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's like I'm sure they're all good, but. Uh, yeah, you know who who's got the time? You know who who's got the time to play all the games? Yeah, it's pretty tough, man. I mean, I'm trying. I there's some games I want to finish. Like you said, like a, a laundry list of games. And then, but now, like focusing on like the YouTube channel and stuff. I I want to record that gameplay to put it on there, and then it kind of makes playing video games boring. So that's yeah, not you fun. turned it into a job. You know, you t- you turned it into a job. Yeah. Yep, but- don't and I mean, God for. bless you. All the all the power to you. I hope it. Uh, <laughs> I hope it results in riches beyond your wildest dreams, and you you get to become the, you know, the the rich asshole that you always wanted to be. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I get it. It it uh, it can it can take the joy out of things. I mean, I can't watch movies anymore without looking at the set dressing. That annoys me. But it's the way oh, it God. is now. It's it's the trade I made. It's the trade I made. Is there a movie that you've seen that like really stood out to you though? Like it was horrible. That it was horrible. Like, like damn, those people suck at their job. Well, no, no, nothing really comes to mind, honestly. And I'm not just trying to be evasive. I can't think of anything, any film or TV show I've seen where the set dressing was like egregiously bad. Um, You know, I guess one that I thought was really great was, uh, you know, the rings of power, the set dressing in the rings of power was, uh, was always really good. Um, you know, they did such a cool job with the little trinkets, you know, they went as practical as they could, uh, and everything in every room you could, um, sorry, I had to adjust my headset. Yeah. You could really feel like they put a lot of passion into, uh, into filling those spaces with cool, um, uh, cool stuff. What? Yeah, if only they were passionate about the storyline because that show fucking sucks ass. 
Yeah, it got. I mean, look, because I agree the, with you, but they did a good job of the world itself. But the storyline and the way the characters are written is so fucking stupid. Oh my god! I won't lie. I was not as enthralled with it as I was hoping to be, and that might come down to, you know, I obviously I was hyped for it and very excited for it. And, you know, all of the articles were being released about the budget and how it was going to be the most expensive television show. And, and, uh, Amazon was, you know, no stone would be left unturned and no dollar unspent for the greatest, you know, Lord of the Rings thing ever. And then it just started so slowly. And I, I really found that I was looking at my phone a lot. And that's something I really do not like to do. Um, but I found that for entire sequences, like entire scenes, I was, I was like looking at my phone. Uh, I wasn't as interested. It was, it was a very, very, very slow burn, which I can uh, usually appreciate, but you know, then I got to the last, the the final couple episodes and things really picked up, um, in terms of pace. And I'm not saying a show has to be entirely action for it to be a good show. You know, like you do, you need moments of, of, uh, just, slowness uh, for everything to breathe and um and to make those you know action scenes more impactful right but uh but yeah it took i think a little too long in season one for them to get where they wanted to go and there were a lot of scenes that just felt like they didn't go anywhere and they really kind of felt like they were filling time um and what i kind of think about a tv show is you know, you'll always hear people say, oh, if you're having trouble getting into this. Just wait until this episode or or wait until that episode or, you know, give it give it a couple more episodes. And, you know, not every television series in the history of TV has hit its stride in its first season. Right. You know, quite famously, The Office changed things up significantly after season one. You know, the American Office. Right. Um, to kind of make it its yeah. own show and to try and be less like the, the uh, British original. Right. Um, And then, you know, Parks and Rec, you'll hear people say that that's an opinion online that you hear a lot, uh, that Parks and Rec was not the same show after season two and that it greatly improved. So um, I'm not saying the Rings of Power is is doomed to being a terrible show that nobody watches. But, you know, what I will say is, is from a structural standpoint, you know, it's it's a really hard sell for people uh, who are busy to watch like you know, six or seven hours of television before it becomes a really entertaining thing. Um, You know, they were going to have the diehards from the start, right? Like the people that like, you know, read everything and and are obsessed with the lore and, and are just Lord of the Rings people. They were going to have those from the start, but if you're trying to draw in the broader audience that is not really up on, everything that's going on in the Lord of the Rings universe, you know, 3000 years prior to the events of the movies they, they saw that Peter Jackson did. Um, Yeah. You, you know, you can't really rely on, on an audience to sit there and wait for it to be like a truly, and, and again, was it horrible? No, I did. I do. I think it disappointed a lot of people. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see if season two, now that the ball is kind of rolling plot wise, is is a little bit more upbeat in in terms of tempo. Um, 
anyway, yeah, there was a lot I loved about it. I thought the acting was very good across the board. Um, I thought the, again, the set design, the, the, uh, special effects, the props, the costumes was all good. What I will say is I, I like elves having short hair freaks the fucking shit out of me. Like they, they look like they had like trendy downtown Toronto haircuts. Um, some of them <laughs> that was odd. That was, that was off putting. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, overall, we'll see what season two holds. They've committed to this fully and completely. So, uh, so yeah, there's going to be a lot more to come. So they have a lot more opportunities to make something good. And maybe it's one of those shows that, you know, years from now we're saying, well, if you get through the first season, it becomes incredible, you know, like we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. You know, it's, uh, I, you know, I guess one of the things that was annoying about it for me was just, you know, obviously Tolkien's work and, and even though Peter Jackson himself didn't follow, you know, the, the lore entirely with the Lord of the Rings books, he still did a very, very good job adapting it. And I just feel like with some of the characters and the decisions and stuff that they did, they veered off the beaten path. And, you know, the problem is that they came out saying that they were going to make it as faithful as possible. And Jeff Bezos is like, Oh, you know, my son's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And he said, dad, please don't like mess this up. Like, please keep it, you know, close to Tolkien's work. And then they kind of didn't even do that. Like the Similarillion is being ripped, ripped to shreds the way they're talking about certain events that happened in that book. And that's what the show's based off of. So it's like, it's kind of, it's frustrating as fuck, to be honest, but um, you aren't wrong. Like there is potential for season two to just literally take off and, and be everything that, you know, a Lord of the Rings fan could want. Like, there's still that very realistic potential. I I don't disagree with that one bit. And in fact, I actually kind of feel that way with a Halo TV show. I think that show went dark because they started production season two about summer last year or something like that. And after Last of Us came out, and obviously being such a good adaptation because, you know, the director's working on the TV show, it being such a good adaptation of the game, uh basically the halo show hasn't said shit so i wonder if they're going back to the you know the drawing board and working on some stuff for season two because it was supposed to be more about like on the ring and stuff because obviously it's following halo reach even though it's like a different timeline um i you know so there is potential for halo to also be a lot better too uh the next season because the finale of that show in terms of action was like everything you could want as a halo fan um so there is that. And yeah, so with The Office, season one sucks, but season two immediately changes the game. So you're right about that. And then Parks and Rec, I also couldn't agree with more. When I, when I rewatch Parks and Rec, if I ever do, I actually do skip to the, the latter half of season two into season three because that's where the show really finds its grounding. So Yeah, you're not the only person I've heard say that for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, and again... I would like to go on record saying that I, I personally like the first season of the office. Um, you know, yes, it does change and it becomes its own thing, but there's a, there's a couple episodes uh, and moments in that first season that I think are absolutely hysterical. And if you can handle, uh, if, if cringe comedy is your bag, they've, they do it well, you know? Um, but yeah, anyway, um, We'll see. We'll see what the future holds for for all of these shows and whether they can, uh, you know, become what everyone's hoping for them to be. Uh, yeah. 
but uh, I think I got to go. I know that's a good drop off point because I was going to say we should definitely have you back on to talk about these shows. Well, at least a couple of them, you know, when they get their season two or something, I'd love to do like a follow up. But uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, A fantastic episode. Uh, I I just think you're such an incredible and fascinating human being, whether you think so or not. And uh, I just really appreciate your time today, man. Oh, well, you're uh, very, very nice. And uh, thank you so much uh, for having me. And I will come back if you if you want. So. So, yeah, no, very, very cool. Uh, Thanks a lot. And yeah, talk to you later. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Just don't leave yet. I'll go ahead and uh, stop it here. Then can I ask you something? But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.